in the bonus with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head, powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome in. In the bonus, he's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head. On your Wednesday morning, halfway through the week, inching closer and closer to another weekend of just football in general. Football. The NFL is back. Have some Thursday night football. If you're a subscriber to Amazon Prime tomorrow night, got some college games as well. And then again, just a, a full slate. Finally getting into some conference action this weekend. Some games you can really sink your teeth into. Yeah. And they're all reflected in our picks. Yes, they are. I've not gotten around to my picks yet, but... There are a lot of interesting ones, that I will say. I am very, very proud of what I did. Because I don't want it to be like, Tennessee, Florida, Mississippi State, LSU. Right. And all of these, like, games that everyone's going to watch. No, you're picking JMU Troy. You're picking JMU Troy this week. I appreciate the fact that you make us think a little bit. And some of these, you do have to... Got to do some research. That's the thing. Where like I will go through on Massey or mm. Stat of War, Stats of War, mm. and look at win probability. Like if I'm deciding between two or three games, mm-hmm. and pick the one that's the closer on the win probability on Massey and them. I- I'm glad you brought up James Madison, and, and we had this in our show notes the other day, and get a, didn't get a chance to get to it. I think it's ridiculous. Yes, that dumb. The FBS has this rule that as you're making the transition up from FCS to FBS, you have this like two-year postseason ban because James Madison is playing some darn good football and and they were obviously a powerhouse in FCS by the time they made the transition they got ranked in the top 25 last year weren't able to go to a bowl game or compete in the the Sunbelt championship game or anything like that same case this year which is a shame because again they're playing really good football and you're telling those guys like well you got to wait until 2024 if you want to go to any kind of postseason sorry them's just the rules it's the dumbest thing on the planet and I get why that rule is in place. Do not get me wrong. I understand it's so you don't stockpile Division One talent for a year or two, gearing up for it, and all of a sudden you have this death machine. But let's play this game because James Madison, football year-by-year results for James Madison in the, let's just say, decade Okay. since. So they get to the FBS last year. Mm-hmm. They made the semifinals. They were CAA champions. One, two, three, four, five. <clears throat> five of the last six years before making the jump. Yep. They made the playoffs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight straight years. Mm-hmm. Under three different coaches, by the way. Won an FCS national title. Were a Division One finalist in 2017. Made the semifinals in back-to-back years under Signetti the years before making the jump, and then won the Sun Belt their Sun Belt division the first year of FBS football. Yes, but could not, but could not play in play it for the championship, which is why I believe Troy. I think made I it think that year. I think that's right. It was Troy and South Al, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the Sun Belt title last year. But the fact that JMU, which has been a good program, point blank period, 
for a decade under Everett Withers, then Mike Houston, who's now at East Carolina, and Kirk Signetti, it's just, it's baffling to me. And, like, they lost an appeal in the same process, and it just, it, it makes no sense to me why, that'd be like saying Texas and Oklahoma, you, I know you're making the jump, or, <laughs> or Houston. Hey, Houston, I know you're making the jump up from G5 to, to P5. Just don't worry about it. You're, you can't make the Big 12 title game for two years. Could you imagine? No. No. It's, it's baffling to me. James Madison currently sits at 64th in the S&P Plus rankings. Bill Connolly's stats. That is ahead of Houston. Teams that can make their conference title game yeah. this year. Fresno State. Boise State, Houston, Georgia Tech, Marshall, Troy, Coastal, Nebraska, Virginia Tech, South Al, Western Kentucky, Colorado, App State, Liberty, Indiana, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, Florida Atlantic, Georgia Southern, Arizona State, Georgia State, Army, Wyoming, Louisiana, San Diego State, Boston College. Like of, And that's just dating back for a few of these. So you're talking about a, a middle-of-the-pack FBS program yeah. right now. Upper half, middle of the pack. FBS program that can't make their conference title game. Yeah, it's crazy. So shout out, shout out to the Dukes, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Uh next year you'll be able to adequately as play in the postseason. I need to look it up because I recorded it this morning. Michaela gave her them the nickname of something very interesting. My brother called them the James Madison James Madisons. Yes. Uh and Michaela gave them a fantastic name, but I have not. I need to go back and listen to the recording I did this morning. Yeah, because uh, they were in our picks last weekend, yes. and I asked my wife the same thing of like, because at first I was like, how familiar are you with college mascots? And she said she wasn't too confident in it. I think she said the guys with hats or something to that mm-hmm. degree. That's fair. Which, like, I know the the do- the, the dog mascot they have does, does have a wear, like, corner a hat. Crown, yes. So close, but yeah. uh, not quite. Uh, no. Um, but yeah, shout out to the Dukes. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, you'll get your just postseason next year. Yes. Uh, I, I want to dive into this kind of first off this morning. This whole Tonka-Hemingway situation <laughs> has gotten out of hand, if we're being honest. Yes. Um, it, it's gone way too far. And for those that are not familiar, Tonka-Hemingway at SEC Media Days, and in fact, I have the clip real yes. quick here um, of exactly what was said. Uh, here it is. Way environments are concerned. And in your career so far, what is in the most hostile road environment you've played in your time with the Gamecocks? Ooh. <laughs> hostile? Uh, I'd probably say like one of the loudest. Texas ain't no. Texas ain't no good one. Uh, Tennessee can get pretty loud too as well. So between them two. That's it. That's all that he said at SEC Media Day is a quick question. What's the most hostile environments you've played in off the top of his head? He named. He didn't sit there and think for five minutes. He wasn't asked like, "Give your top five or rank them or whatever." No. Just what are a couple of hostile environments? And he said A and M, and he said Tennessee, which, to be fair, are hostile environments. Awesome environment. I, having Great environments. Been, having been to all three, which we'll talk about Georgia. Yeah, I've been to all three. All three at its max capacity are special. Well, Neyland and Kyle Field both hold a hundred thousand people. Right? Yeah, they see more than than Georgia does. Yeah, if so I'm not like. Mistaken. Again, a quick answer to that question off the top of his head, names A&M, names Tennessee. That's it. This happened two months ago at SEC Media Days. Right. Well, on Monday at, at Kirby's press conference, 
I don't know who asked this question, but somebody brought it up as saying, hey, Tonka Hemingway said hostile environments. He did not name Sanford Stadium, basically trying to get a rise out of Kirby. And Kirby said basically the effect of like, we have great fans. We think it's going to be a great environment. And, you know, uh, basically he's responding to what was being asked, basically. I guarantee you Kirby has not heard this quote from Tonka Hemingway and was just responding to the question in the moment. But this thing has taken on a life of its own. For no reason. the Twitterverse. And people are, like I saw a video this morning of uh, Stetson Bennett throwing a pancake block on Tonka Hemingway last year. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? And what did Tonka do to anybody? Exactly. He just answered the question. Uh, Allow me to explain SEC Media Days to people. Okay. You have a bunch of people from around SEC land, and now Austin and Oklahoma. Yeah. Coming together in Nashville or Birmingham or the dry fit Pollock swarm floods to a certain hotel in some southeastern city. And if you are writing for a Texas A&M centered website, if you're writing for a South Carolina centered website and you're there for the entire week, you got to find content because you're not going to be there for three days just roaming around, seeing if you can spot Nick Saban. Mm -hmm. You need to ask players of other schools specific questions about the school that you cover. So that was probably an A&M writer, a Georgia writer, a Tennessee writer, a somebody writer saying, hey, hostile, or or a national radio person that was like, hey, what are your favorite hostile environments? Benign question, benign answer. Sure. It's a master class by Kirby. Oh, without a doubt. The man who convinced one of the most talented teams of all time that they were going to go eight and four. Seven and five. Seven and five. To get them fired up and the fans fired up, I mean, it's impressive. And I don't mean that facetiously. I legitimately mean like that is impressive to do because. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, I don't blame Kirby in this instance because he was presented this question as if, and again, he's not sat there and listened to what Tonka Hemingway had to say. He was presented it as if Tonka was taking a deliberate shot at the Georgia fan base when asked this question, which has not happened at all. And Kirby just responded how you would expect a coach to respond in that situation. But when we talk about social media, it yes. takes on a life of its own. And to me, this was the equivalent of, and I used this example with Jay yesterday, if I sat here and said, I like Coca-Cola, to which you respond, well, that must mean you hate Pepsi. I'm like, right. that's not what I said. I just said I liked one thing. That does not imply that I hate the other one or that the other one is bad. I just simply said it that I liked this one and I prefer this one. Mm-hmm. But again, we're talking about Twitter, social media, things that take on different meanings when you're talking about those things. I know the contingent of Georgia fans that are running with this because these are the same people, the extreme ones, that also hated Stetson Bennett despite delivering back-to-back national championships. Some of these people are just crazy. And these are the people that are just sinking their teeth into this stuff. These are probably also the people that would say, yeah, no one expected us to do this. Everyone thought we were going to go 7-5. and Exactly. And the dynasty's over. no. (laughs) No. Nobody believed that. No. Um... I don't understand the vitriol. I don't either. And it makes, I don't know why you ask about it in a press conference. And I don't know who asked it. I don't either. I didn't recognize the voice. I don't know why you ask that question in a press conference. Of all of the things to ask during, what is a rivalry game for South Carolina? I think Georgia, South Carolina's down the pecking order. I would. It's, it's, it's low on the list. I would say what? 
Uh, Tennessee, Florida, Tech, Auburn, Auburn, South Carolina. South Carolina's in that like Tennessee category, yeah, probably in that fifth to sixth if yeah. we're going in order. Right. So a, a big week, one of the longer running series in the SEC. It just makes no sense to ask that question, and it's not Tonka giving a slight to anybody because I know Tonka, and it's just it's baffling. It's absolutely baffling to me. It it makes no sense why this is such a thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it, it's gotten ridiculous, and and uh, whoever asked this question was obviously trying to generate something because I don't he know. Did good work. They, you did yeah, the job. Hats off to you. I don't know if he I guess. <laughs> thinks that... Well, and look, the Georgia crowd's going to be into this game on Saturday. They've been itching to finally get a competent opponent coming into Sanford yes. Stadium because they've watched UT Martin and Ball State the past two weeks. Like They're glad an SEC team is finally coming in. I don't think there's any concern. And it's a 3.30 game. It's not like it's a nooner no. where you can have a sleepy you know, crowd late arriving or whatever. Like They're going to be very into this game. I don't think you needed to fire them up even more. No, I did see some Twitter account yesterday complaining about the lack of night games at Georgia. That, okay, I will say, the past couple of seasons, they have not gotten right. many. They were the first defending national champion to not play a true night game the following season. Interesting. Last but, year. But in fairness, you are getting a ton of CBS 330 kicks. That's true, and like, uh, that's kind of the weird trade-off there. Right. But um, um, I will also say, I believe Tonka, in the same interview was asked about not playing Georgia next year yeah, and was like, that sucks. I want to keep playing Georgia. Yeah. Because that is a rivalry and that is something that this fan base enjoys doing. Well, that clip didn't But that didn't doesn't get rounds. circulated. Now, during our break, I'm going to go find that clip and okay. tweet it because right. it's it's baffling to me how, how this took on a life it, of its own for no reason. I just felt the need to address that to I start agree. off because it's gotten, you know, it was a, a pretty harmless thing, I guess, when Monday... Yeah came around but like the past two days it's just gotten yeah it's gotten out of hand and so i think i texted you coming back from availability after this stuff hit the the firestorm and i was like i think we got to talk about tonk tomorrow <laughs> we'll dive more into the specifics of this matchup not just the crowd uh and what some of the players had to say yesterday when they did speak to the media coming up you're listening in the bonus he's colin taylor i'm tyler head here on the game The bonus, the bonus with Colin with Taylor, Colin from, Taylor Gamecock from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head, powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Uh, he can he can um throw the ball deep. He he has a strong arm, but um he's new back there, so we trying to um work up some things to get him uncomfortable back there. Um you know try to try to knock him off his game. You feel me? So yeah, we just we just um a lot of a lot of new schemes and a lot of new plays coming in. You feel me? Welcome back into in the bonus, Colin Taylor. Tyler head along with you on this Wednesday morning. That was the voice of. Marcellus Dial yesterday in uh, the Gamecocks media availability. Talk a little bit about Carson Beck, quarterback for the Bulldogs, who they'll be taking on this weekend in what will be really the first big game that Carson Beck has started in his time at Georgia. Obviously, he's a junior. He's played behind Stetson Bennett 
past couple years has come in and mop up duty in a lot of the games because Georgia's won pretty handily over the past two seasons. Uh, obviously named the starter prior to the season starting this year. Started against Ball State, started against UT Martin, but this is the first time he's going to have a real true test as a starting quarterback. And and the weird thing about Stetson Bennett, or uh, correction, Carson Beck, we still don't know a lot about him up to this point. I think it's fair to say South Carolina is the best defense he is going. He has faced top to bottom uh, yeah. this year. Yes, definitely. R- really in his career, probably, because when he's been in, it's been largely in mop-up duty. Mainly. Right. Uh, I also think it's fair to say I don't know how much it's going to matter. Because yeah, I think... When you have the talent around you. Well, that and I think Georgia's going to run the ball a ton. I don't think they're going to, unless things get squirrely in the second half, I don't know how much they're going to put the ball in his hands to go win it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But I think it's a really, it, it's something that I didn't think about really until, because it feels like Stetson Bennett's been there 16 years, that this is Beck's first SEC start. It is. Now, granted, it's at home, which probably helps him a lot, but... It's one of those things where South Carolina does have a veteran secondary and a really doggone good secondary coach. And, you know, Clayton White, his backgrounds and being in coaching the secondary as well. Um, I think that there's something to that of being able to change the picture a little bit and maybe force some force some things, have mm-hmm. uh, force Carson Beck to, to change the picture and, and get kind of r- rattled, probably not the right word, but kind of off his game a little bit early. Yeah, uh, definitely. If you can make uh, Carson Beck uh, uncomfortable, especially with the strength that Carolina has in its secondary, you have the opportunity to make some plays. Now making Spencer or making Carson Beck uncomfortable is certainly going to be a task, especially when we look at you know how the pass rush was against North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. And, and this isn't a surprise. Georgia's got a better offensive line than North Carolina did. So yes. you're definitely going to have a, a tough time getting in the backfield and moving him off his spot. But if you're able to get there and if you're able to do that, then, again, you certainly have the opportunity to make some plays happen. Yeah, and and to be fair, Georgia really hasn't asked him to do a ton because they haven't had to. Right. I think they've – I think – now, I haven't watched every single snap of Georgia football this year, but I think they've been pretty vanilla offensively. And, mm-hmm. and granted, they could be because it was UT Martin and Ball State. Mm-hmm. But – only 20 attempts or 19 attempts through two games of 10 plus yards downfield, according to PFF. Now he's, I mean, he's playing pretty well when you consider, but I mean, you're talking about his interception came on a deep ball. Now he did have two big time throws per PFF on those deep passes, but you're not really asking him to do a ton when it comes to that, that kind of downfield passing attack. Because you have a really good running game and you have really good receivers and there's just no point. And um, what I will say, oddly enough, he's been he's only been pressured on 12% of his dropbacks. Yeah. That's insane. If you're South Carolina, you have to you have to find a way to pressure him. And they've not been good enough at that from a front four perspective. Yeah. If you are that's the that's the concern if you were South Carolina, if that makes sense. Being able to pressure him. You can change everything on the back end, but if your DBs are being forced to to cover for six seconds, mm-hmm. at some point someone's getting open. Yeah. 
one other thing, too, and look, Mike Bobo was on the staff last year as an analyst and, you know, has now transitioned into being the offensive coordinator once again. The offense looks very similar to what Todd Munkin was running. Uh, but again, when you look at the quality opponents Georgia's faced in the first two weeks and UT Martin and Ball State, we have not seen a fleshed out version of what exactly this offense can be. And a lot of no. people have brought up the points and I've watched both of the Georgia games this season. Georgia has started off relatively slow offensively. They didn't score any points in the first quarter last week against Ball State, and that's gotten a lot of Georgia fans in a frenzy. But it's kind of one of those things. I don't know why why this happens every single year. Georgia tends to do that against lesser competition is starting off a little bit slower, whether trying different things or again, just not putting the full playbook out there. But I have a feeling they're probably going to come out pretty fast against South Carolina this weekend, because I feel like that full playbook of what Bobo wants to do will finally be on display probably for the first time this season. Yeah, I think so. And there's, there's history there with Shane Beamer and, and Mike Bobo and, and Bobo was a holdover from the previous staff when Beamer took over and left to go to Auburn, took Will Friend with them. And, um, Shane Beamer's 1-0 against him since then, having played them at Auburn, but that was a vastly different Auburn team that they're going to have to face this year. And um, that's a big bugaboo, too. Um, South Carolina hasn't started fast on the road. And um, as I scroll through my data to find out where I put it, but and we can talk about it. So in first quarters on the road this under Shane Beamer, they're being outscored by 72, being outscored in 21, by 121 points in the first half total. Right. Um, we're going to know quick what this game might look like for South Carolina because if history holds, they either come out strong and, and have a shot at winning or they struggle and it turns into a, a lopsided game uh, early because they, they can't get any momentum going and, and the team they're playing is really good. Right. Uh, Coach Beamer did speak to the media yesterday as well. We had it for you right here on the game, sponsored by P. Dale Wine pools and spas we'll hear a little bit about what he had to say as he looks ahead of this matchup with the back-to-back defending national champions this upcoming weekend you're listening to in the bonus he is colin taylor i'm tyler head here on the game what you're talking about sponsored by love chevrolet on your home of the gamecocks in columbia 1075 the game also heard on 100.3 the game in myrtle beach and 100.5 the game in florence welcome back in in the bonus colin taylor tyler head along with you on this wednesday morning getting closer and closer to the weekend and seeing the gamecocks head over to athens to take on the Bulldogs, before we hear a little bit of what Coach Beamer had to say yesterday, we'll now head out to the Love Chevrolet phone lines, welcome in Mike, who uh, raises some interesting questions about potential injuries that George is going to be dealing with this weekend. Uh, Mike, how are yeah. you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you all this morning? Good. Uh, Good talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, well, really quick, one quick point about your um, about being a Georgia fan. I mean, last year, if you look at what they did after they played Oregon, and they beat Sanford 33 to nothing, and then they played Kent State, and that was actually one of their closer games of the season. So if you looked at it, it was like 80, what would it be, 80 to 21 last year, those two teams, mm-hmm. very comparable to the same kind of teams they've played now, and I believe it was 95 to 10. So you know, take that for what it's worth. I don't know why Georgia fans get so worked up about playing these smaller teams, you know, but I think you're right. I think they're being a little vanilla. Um, Georgia could have some key players missing – that if Carolina's got any shot of pulling an upset off, 
would really benefit them if Bullard does not play. That puts Dan Jackson, who is another walk-on, calling George a walk-on you now. But uh, you have Dan Jackson back there, and they really don't have another corner opposite Lasseter, Lasseter yet, some really young guys. So you never know. You know, you never – It's it's they're going to try to pull a 2019. That would be a, a big, big help for Carolina if Jeff Bullard doesn't play. Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are good points. I certainly appreciate the uh... – Call there, uh, uh, Mike, and, and that is a good point to bring up. Javon Buller did injure his ankle this past weekend against Ball State. You also have Ladd McConkey, who's been dealing with a little bit of a mm-hmm. back issue and has not played through these um, first two games. It's certainly two big key parts to uh, Georgia's success over these past couple seasons. Dan Jackson is an option at safety for Georgia, as is uh, David Daniel Sisavon, who is a four-star in the class of 2021 class. And that's the thing about Georgia, though, is like (laughs) when you lose one of these frontline guys, you still have a lot of really good talent behind them. However, if Javon Bullard is not playing at that safety spot, that is a particular area that South Carolina can attack on Saturday. Yeah, and I think when you... When you start to think about the formula that it's going to take for South Carolina to pull off an upset, which by the way, I did not realize this until last night. Georgia's last home loss was that 2019 South Carolina game. That is I did correct. not realize that. Yep. Uh, I think it's what 20 straight now. Uh, that's, I believe that's correct. Uh, it, it revolves around hitting an explosive place. That was kind of the formula early in that 2019 game. You hit that big pass to Brian Edwards. You pick off Jake from, three times, one being, I think, a pick six. That's the formula. That's the, and if you don't have your starting safety, who is a top 75 player in in his class, then all of a sudden South Carolina has more of a chance to create those plays. If that's the offensive game plan, you hope that you can protect Spencer Rattler long enough and a combination of Juice Wells, Xavier Leggett, Trey Knox, uh, Josh Simon, Amarian Brown, and/or Eddie Lewis. However, you know who's healthy in that group. That group can create some plays either on the perimeter or downfield, and you're able to to swing a possession or two because of that. And then defensively, if Ladd McConkey's not out there, what does Georgia's receiver situation look like? And it's by the way, it's Dominic Lovett and and Ra Ra Thomas who are really good. They haven't been uber productive early, but they're still really good and. You load up to stop the run, and then you hope Cell Dial, OD Fortune, and that secondary can protect down, cover enough to and confuse back enough if you stop the run. Well, specifically speaking about Lad McConkey's spot, which is that slot position, Makai Muse has stepped up mightily this season. He's a guy that was a former walk-on. He's currently leading the team with 102 reception, 102 yards receiving and one touchdown. And also has the punt return touchdown against Ball State this past weekend. So again, it's it's this next man up thing where even the, even the walk-ons are really, really talented. Now again, Makai Muse has not played meaningful snaps against like high-quality SEC opponents just yet, but what we've seen out of him in the first two games, I, I imagine he should be a, a huge factor in this offense once again this weekend. Yeah, that's the frustrating part with Georgia. First of all, you're getting torched by a dude named Lad. Like, that has to hurt the pride a little bit. And he's people are going to might clip that and be like, oh, he's just, no, I think Lad McConkey's really good. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like, it's like being torched by Hunter Renfro. And it's like, I'm really getting torched by a dude named Hunter. This guy? Like, that guy? Like, if you're getting torched by a dude named Dominic Lovett or yeah. Ra Ra Thomas, that one makes sense. 
was like, I'm getting lad just ran like a perfectly crisp out route against me. And like he's getting eight yards every time. That can be frustrating. But yeah, it's you would like if you're Georgia probably to have the experience. Lad McConkey's played in what two national title games? He's yep. he's been there a decade, so probably three of the national title games. Uh you would like to have the experience. You would like to have Bullard in there because I believe Bullard's played a ton mm-hmm. for them. Yep. But it's not like they're not talented. Your hope if you're South Carolina is you can get those young players' eyes in the wrong spot, keyed into the wrong thing, and, and take advantage of it with a veteran quarterback and some veteran wide receivers. You just need – I keep going back to it, and we're going to keep going back to it. You have to be able to protect Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, there is a shot at being able to create those chunk plays that you've been so good at over the course of the first two weeks of the season. And we, we looked at these stats yesterday. Georgia does only have one sack this season. That yes. was by Mikhail Williams. However, when you look at the quality of the opponents that they've played, I don't think they've necessarily been primarily focused on the pass rush because you know they obviously know what they have on the rest of the levels of their defense, and that's done just fine. But I imagine they'll be dialing up quite a few blitzes, bringing the house quite a bit on Saturday, especially you know, and the inefficiencies that South Carolina has on their offensive line. Right, and Georgia has the corners to cover for the most part because Malachi Starks is probably going to play right. I know he was banged up earlier in the season. They have the corners to just say, okay, go. Like, you're on Juice Wells, you're on Xavier Leggett, go. And a lot of people don't have that. So if Georgia can blitz you, then then it becomes an issue. If you're um, Spencer Rattler, if you're that offensive line in a hostile environment where it's hard to communicate. So all of those things combined together make it a, a tough road to hoe. But there is there is a pathway for mm-hmm. South Carolina to at worst make it competitive. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully if you're Shane Beamer, pull off the upset. If South Carolina does not win this weekend... What, if anything, do you look at as something you come away from the game saying, all right, we're at least moving in the right direction? Efficiency in the run game. I do not think that South Carolina is going to go out and pop off for 200 yards rushing against Georgia. I just don't think that that's feasible. If Spencer Rattler, you have to look the part. South Carolina has gone down to Georgia and then played him here and looked relatively non-competitive. Non-competitive is probably the wrong word, but like you get beat 44 to 10 if I'm not mistaken, in year one under Shane Beamer, and then you get beat 48-7 to the year after that. Mm -hmm. You have to look more competitive. You have to look. Now, it's going to be tough with, you know, I think Georgia's much better on both lines of scrimmage, but it's one of those things where if you go down there and look competitive, Spencer Rattler continues to protect the ball. There's not those head-scratching interceptions. There's not bad ball security. That's one thing. You don't look like you're beating yourself kind of thing. And if you can play a clean game, if you can see some of these young guys step up, if Tree Babalade plays or Trevon Ball plays, um, what does that look like? And you hope that you can see enough progress there, especially with some of these young guys, um, to, to, to feel good about these swing games coming up over the course of the next month. Speaking of establishing that run game, uh, Clark Brooks, SEC StatCat on Twitter, finally got around to some of the South Carolina stats from this past weekend against Furman, and this is something he tweeted out. Last night, uh, he said, Furman made South Carolina earn its rush yards. They only average .7 yards for contact. 
with uh, 27% of tries seeing contact behind the line, six tackles for losses and one explosive. Naturally, less than a third found success. Joyner had three of South Carolina's six broken tackles on Saturday. Yeah, and it's the run game's not been good. I think that that's a fair. Yes, they got to 100 yards rushing total, but you know. It was it was a work in progress. And you know my affinity for total yard metrics, and there's just it's not sure. a great metric there. You and Kirk Ferentz. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, when your success rate is in the 30s in terms of rushing consistency, and um, as I pull up stats of war, like, it's one of those things where it just doesn't – you have to be – again, you don't have to go out there and be able to run six you know, six times for 90 yards. You just need to be able to be efficient and create some successful plays. South Carolina's r- offensive success when running the ball is 34%. That is 111th in the country. Mm-hmm. Their offensive success rate when passing the ball – is 36.3%, which is ninth best in the country. At some point, and I might even ask Dowell Loggins this, where do you draw the line of being hard-headed in the run game versus doing what's got you here to this point and doing more of the strength of this team? And um, That's something that you need to figure out. Does, is it more, does that mean more Mario Williams or Mario Anderson? Does that mean more DJ Braswell? We don't know. Um, DeKaron Jordan is also in game three. As a running back, so right, it's a it's a work in progress. But I, I think you need to find a way to just be more efficient because if you can't be, then teams are going to start teeing off on you. Right. Let's hear a little bit of what Beamer had to say yesterday, particularly as it pertains to injuries. That's uh, coming up. You're listening to in the bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on the game. In the bonus with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head. Powered by Twin Peaks and Candy Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. In the bonus, Colin Taylor, Tyler Head. Along with you this morning, reacting to what we heard from Beamer and company yesterday in their usual Tuesday media availability. Uh, Shane Beamer's been a little bit coy when it comes to injuries this week as listing everybody as as probable, which I get. Don't don't show your hand, and maybe you can catch George off guard a little bit in that regard. But a couple of big names that have obviously, obviously been banged up over these past couple weeks are, are Juice Wells and Nicky Minori. Now, we did see Juice Wells for... A significant amount of snaps on Saturday against Furman, far more than I thought he was going to, but uh, not too much of note as far as offensive production goes. So hopefully he is uh, good to go for Georgia this weekend. But Nicky Minori did sit out this past weekend, and here is what Coach Beamer had to say about the latest revolving around his injury. Oh, you're right. Um, you know, you want to, those are things that can linger throughout the season if you don't uh, let them, you know, heal the right way and you don't want to rush things. 
for sure. Uh, but we're smart with it, you know, Clint and down in the training room and, and our strength and conditioning staff, you know, ramping him up and, and trying to do what he can do each and every day. And I told him before practice, like he practiced today and, uh, and looked good <clears throat> out there in practice. Uh, I thought, you know, he didn't do everything, but he was limited, but looked good. And it's like I told him at the beginning of practice, you know, you're practicing today and you're doing a little bit today and you'll do a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit more on Thursday. And, Friday walk through or jog through and we'll be ready to go on Saturday. So, uh, you know, trust, uh, trust the, the medical personnel and the strength and conditioning personnel. And they want to get out there and go without a doubt, but we got to be smart and realize that we don't play today. Uh, we play on Saturday. How much better are South Carolina's odds with Nicky Mori on the field, as opposed to him not being on the field Saturday? Ooh. I mean, I think it goes from a very slim chance. I mean, I think most metrics and predictive metrics have this anywhere from a 4% chance to win to like an 8% chance to win. Uh-huh. I think it goes from there to maybe a 10 to 12, 10 to 15% okay. chance, maybe, probably on the lower end of that. Will it help? Yes, but I also think that there are glaring discrepancies with the offensive, with the lines of scrimmage that I think play more into it than Nicky Minwari. Yeah. Now, if you get Eamon Worry and Juice back, I think that expands your chances even more, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I feel like, again, what we saw at Juice this past weekend playing far more snaps than I thought he was going to Same. should be an indication that he should be fine for this weekend. Uh, again, Eamon Worry, as, as Beamer mentioned yesterday, did practice, was still a little bit limited, so it'll be kind of one of those things that... And look, we, we still don't know the specifics exactly of what these injuries are because we're just being told, oh, it's it's lower body and that's all we have to go off of. Right. Um, so uh, it's just kind of going to be one of those things that we have to wait until Saturday and see what happens. Yeah, and I think, too, there's something to be said for being smart here. Hamstrings are weird. Would you rather and can be re-aggravated very quickly if you do not treat them right, if you do not um, take the necessary precautions to get the hamstring to a place where it's back to normal – close to normal, would you rather have Nicky Minwari out there for 15 plays at 80% and then it re-aggravates itself and then you're without him for four weeks? Or or if he's not ready to go, would you rather have Nicky Minwari out there for, you know, the next 10 games, nine games, playing 60 to 70 snaps? And I think near everyone would choose the latter of those two options. Definitely so. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and and again, he certainly gives you a better chance when he is on the field. But same time, you do have a full season to think about. So yes. you do have to weigh your options at some point. And, and look, Jalen Kilgore has oh, I was gonna bring that up. done a fine yeah. job so far. This is a different level of competition that you're going to be going up against. But as we've kind of talked about, sometimes baptism by fire is the best way to learn. And uh, he's going to get the opportunity to learn a lot this weekend if he plays. If Nicky, yeah, <laughs> Nicky Moore got thrown into the thrown to the wolves in week two against Arkansas, and then had to play Georgia in week three. Yep. Jalen Kilgore now Furman's a different beast, but you get thrown in week one North Carolina, and then week three Georgia. If 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 Nicky Moore is able to go, what do you think South Carolina does? 
What would you do if you were coordinating the defense and Nicky Minwari said, I'm 100% on playing 65 snaps? What would you do? So if Nicky Minwari tells me that or for the medical like staff? Like medical staff. That? Like the medical staff and Nicky Minwari sit down and say, okay, you're able to play 50 snaps in this game. Uh, what, I, what do you do? I mean, I think you're putting him out there for the 50 snaps. Yes. Now, no. if there becomes a concern like, okay, he's hobbled a little bit, I think you do have to maybe err a little bit more on the side of the caution because you have to think about the bigger picture. But as long as he's out there and feeling good and I'm not seeing anything to be concerned about, let him keep playing. Well, here's the thing, too. What is the trickle-down effect of that? Where do you put... Because I feel like you have to keep Jalen Kilgore on the field. Yeah. Um, it's a matter it, of do you take... Now, with Keenan Nelson out, this, the decision becomes a little bit easier, I think, but... Where do you put Kilgore? Where do you put DQ Smith? Yeah, that's where things get tricky here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, Beamer's not going to give us the full injury rundown, so we're just, we're not going to know ahead of Saturday what, what right. exactly is happening at the nickel spot. But yeah, you want to you want to keep playing a guy like Kilgore because he has done well for you so far. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, would would you slide him into the nickel spot? I would slide me personally. I would slide Kilgore to nickel, keep DQ at safety, mm-hmm. and allow. I mean, Jalen Kilgore's listed at as I Google him really quickly. Jalen Kilgore is listed again as I can uh, Google him. I'm looking at six one two zero four. Six one two zero four. That yep. is a big body nickel. Yeah. DQ Smith is listed. Six one two fourteen. Right, so a little bit bigger. I feel like Jalen's like a little bit more, a little bit longer, too, though, which helps. So that's why I would put him at nickel, keep DQ back there at safety, yeah, and allow him and, and Eamon Worry to play off of each other and use that experience. Find out what happens on Saturday. That'll do it for today's edition of In the Bonus. Coming up next, it is the extra point here on the game, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow to react to what the coordinators had to say today as we get closer to Saturday's contest against Georgia.